Welcome to the Minimalist CEO Podcast with Nate Lindquist. Nate created the Minimalist CEO Method to help business owners redefine and grow their businesses by finding new demand in places they never thought to look where there's no competition. By following his opposite thinking strategy, Nate's coaching clients have grown their business up to 40% in just two months and created tens of millions of dollars in revenue. Nate himself has launched more than 140 businesses. On the show, Nate interviews successful business owners and experts who share the secrets you can use to have a better business and a better life. Hey everyone, Nate Lindquist here with the Minimal CEO Podcast, and I'm very excited to introduce to you our a special guest, David Endersky, the president of Ancon, and it's a building solutions company. This guy took over a generational business. David, you've done amazing things with the business. I'm inspired. We're just meeting each other here for the first time today, but the things you put together with your people, with your systems, with your company, thanks so much for being on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Well, Nate, I really appreciate you inviting me in, and I'm super excited to be a part of it. Yeah, awesome. I look forward to getting to know you some more and also introduce you to the people who are listening. I know we have a lot of people in the service business right now, and some of them have gotten into family businesses. Some of them have started from scratch just because they really love working with tools and, and being out in the field and being in the fresh air and solving problems. I think all of them have their own reasons for getting in business, but I'd be curious, tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got into the business, and uh, then we'll go from there. Well, Nate, you know, I'm the uh, proud recipient of second generation. So I grew up in the business in every sense of the matter. My father started it in 1968. I mean, ever since I was a little boy, I, you know, I'd go in on Saturdays, I'd go in on job sites, be enamored by the cranes or the rigs that, we, that he was doing. When I was old enough to actually work in the business, I was there high school summers, college breaks, and I was doing everything. I was a parts runner. I was a sheet metal worker. I was an HVAC service helper. I spent one summer with a, with one of our senior techs who um, had major back surgery, and he was only allowed to use his brain. I had to do everything for the chef. I had to carry his tool bucket, his ladders. And every time he said, move this, do that, because he was allowed to do nothing. So I really learned it from the ground up and really took the brunt of a lot of um everyone to make sure that I was not just there to uh, earn a paycheck and then go home and live in their boss's house. Yeah. So th it didn't look too much with all the work you're doing, like nepotism. This was, this kid's here, <laughs> he's working. You became this guy's hands and you worked your tail off, it sounds like. It was just the opposite. They knew if I showed up on a job site, my father made sure I was given the most miserable task that could be done for the day. <laughs> and that's where his son was going to be. And if I didn't show up with the car, if, if I was 15 minutes early, I was probably still considered late. So no, I was given no, um, nepotism did not exist. And they made sure they all put me through the ringer. Wow. So during that time, you were an employee working for the company that your dad founded. You're under his watchful eye and his enthusiasm <laughs> to mold you into the, the president of the company that you become today. I have to imagine some experience had been passed down from the generation. Some passed down, and I'm sure there's stories there, and some that you maybe didn't want to carry on and mm -hmm. after they were passed down. But could you maybe expand on that a little bit? You know, I think on the on the positive side, you know, my father, you know, first generation, he worked hard, still does. My father's 82, still comes in the office every every day. And I say he he's great at what he does. He has tremendous wisdom and um, still shares that with our next generation every day. So I learned how to work hard, how to be inquisitive, how to get answers. 
So he's been a great mentor in that sense. Things that, you know, I learned not, you know, I also learned some things not to do. You know, when we started, you know, the company was a different size and a different time. Now growing the path that we did, it's all about delegation and having the right people. My father's a very, very hands-on kind of guy. He needs to, to this day, if we're exploring new technology, he wants to be on the training class. He wants to be tearing that, that motor apart. And he loves being in the thick of that. And for me to, you know, to grow and do other things, it was more important than I understood it. But I had really smart people around me that cared and knew how to do that for me. Okay. So you were able to look at the business as a set of systems, not have to put everything on your shoulders and maybe not have to be involved in every project, maybe not to be involved in every decision. And so that was a pretty big shift for you. hundred percent. We were a very, very, you know, we were a small group and, you know, like a lot of businesses, we ebbed and flowed in the early nineties. When I, when I really came on full time in call it 92, 93, we were in the undergoings of, of some pretty bad business turmoil. So everything that they didn't teach you in accounting school that you really needed to know, I really learned the hard way yeah. from estimating and, you know, more about whip sheets and accounting practices and how bad accounting could really cost you things. And, you know, you could have a lot of cash in the bank, but really be overbuild and really be in a bad position very quickly and not even know that. Yeah. So I, I learned some very, very tough, very valuable lessons very early in my career that were difficult to um, survive through. Yeah. I'd love it if you could expand on that, maybe give a, an example, you know, and for our listeners, I think about some of the conversations I've had recently with their businesses and with the leaders in the organizations. It seems like there are some some fine tuning, some foundational pieces in a business, say that's at the five to ten million dollar level, where the owner has to stop thinking, or the leader of the company has to stop thinking about every initiative and move over into a, a systems mindset. So, what do you think you could share with that, just to help those listeners? Oh, absolutely. And you know, at five million, you know everybody, you know everything. You probably know the the spouse and the children's names of all your employees, maybe even go to all their backyard barbecues. You reach a point, or at least I reached a point where that's starting to change. We were doing a job site or we hired some people and, and you didn't know everybody anymore. You needed to really trust your processes and build your systems and have enough checks and balances that if something was going different than, than you thought, whether on budget or a customer relationship, you know, in the beginning, most customers called me. As we grew and as my role changed and evolved, I had to hand over customers to my team and making sure they were treated the same way I was treating them. And encouraging that same value and that same relationship is very, very difficult because not everyone does it the same. But knowing that they were treated as I would treat them. And to this day, I have customers that I haven't spoke to in years and they'll call me out and be like, you know, it's so great working with Michael or Bobby. They, they've, you've instilled that same value in them and I'm treated the same. And that is so difficult, but so important for the success of a business. Yeah, that's great insight, especially now that you've grown the business, what, to over $35 million at this point. Is that right? We did. 2020, we did break that ceiling, which was um, very exciting and very difficult, especially in the world of COVID. So what was the threshold? Actually, I'd love to see the whole you know, the, the gamut you took over in, you said around 92, 93 and so 93, I, yeah, 93, I came in full time and we were doing a lot of public work at the time. Okay. So we were probably doing five, 6 million. And then we had some challenges and we got a little smaller. We contrasted a little bit 
And then in around 2000, I came on board full time. You know, I really took the leadership position as president and really shifted our focus from the public sector really into the relationship, private sector. And we really just started growing. You know, we got some new talent. We got some young, hungry people. And I'm going to say we probably grew at a 10, 15% organic weight for many, many years. And, you know, we had some plateaus and some valleys, but it was pretty upright for, you know, and then I'm going to say around 2010 or so, we were at that $12, $15 million mark. And all the things that they don't tell you, you know, going from eight to 15 was difficult, but going past that was the hardest thing that we've ever, that I've ever done as a leader in, in business because the world changes. How did you find, I mean, just to kind of look at this whole big picture, this can be pretty daunting for someone with a business doing, you know, I talk to business owners regularly that are doing that five to $10 million in business. Mm -hmm. There seems to be this sort of pull start, like they get there, they fall down, they get there, they fall (laughs) down. It can sound daunting, I think, to get past that point. And I'd be curious, how did you find a way eventually through the challenges of it all to shift the mindset to make the decisions and actually work on the business and keep flying the plane and getting work done at the same time. You know, Nate, I would answer it with two things. Number one, there are many people in this country that run very, very successful five to $10 million businesses and do very well for themselves. And going bigger to do that, you know, you take on more risk, more responsibility. And if at the end of the day, the bottom line doesn't reflect it, maybe that's okay. For me personally, in a generational business, I had the privilege, and I still have the privilege of working my father every day that showed me great value. To go to the next step, I had to look outside my four walls with other business, with other mentors, with other peers. I personally leveraged two or three specific industry groups where I, you know, I'm in one now, still going. In fact, next month we'll be in San Antonio where we go to each other's business and we look and we talk to their people. And the value of doing that and seeing the way other people run a business in the same industry and solve problems and are so willing to share their secret sauce or come to you and say, hey, here's a problem we're having. But that learning is more valuable than anything you could ever do um, within your industry or without because the problems are the problems. You know, people have HR problems, insurance problems in every business. And we didn't have the bandwidth internally to do that without going outside. And, you know, we've hired mentors. We've offered, you know, we we work with CEO coaches. We do all kinds of things to, again, explore our resources because I've learned very quickly that there's a lot of smart, successful people out there and they're all willing to share their secrets as long as you ask. Yep. And as a CEO mentor and advisor myself, I can tell you that there's a lot of companies that get to those transitions that you're talking about and they don't ask or they wait and, too late. And I use the expression, the wheel's round, it's round, it works really, really well. And if you're having a problem with, you know, my industry with, with a, you know, hiring young talent or training, or you call, I can call up dozens of peers across the country and say, hey, here's a problem we're having. And I'll get 10 answers. Two or three of them may not work for me, but all yeah. it takes is one new great idea. And it's like, ah. That was so simple. Why didn't I think of that? Right. But again, why, why, you know, check your ego, talk to people because mm. they're all great and, and, and you'll learn things and you'll, you'll learn what not to do as well. Hey, that would never work for me. I care more about, you know, some people put profits over performance. That's not our thing. 
We've got to not realize that the margins we were expecting because something went wrong or we didn't meet the customer's expectations. That's got to come first. Nate, all we have is our reputation. Nothing else matters. Yeah. And there, there are other, you know, so you may have a conversation with someone and you could check off the box, say, that's not what I want to be. And that's okay. That's learning too. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, again, in the turnaround space, what I find is a lot of people want to save a business they don't want. And you find out like part of the problem you have here is this isn't a business you're interested in growing. Let's find something that you do want to grow. And that leads me to something I want to switch gears a little bit if I can. One of the big points of the minimalist CEO in, in this podcast is to explore the the role, you know, we talk about following your your calling, actually taking action to pursue your calling, to allow it to bubble up and make that a guiding force. However, you're going to build a business, however you're going to design your life. What I found again, and I'm curious if you're seeing this, if you're missing the piece of this is how I want to solve problems. This is how I know I can save people. This is how I know I can help people. This is where I know I can make a difference in a way that's beyond the business, bigger than the business. What role in the success of your business has your calling to help other people and your calling, you know, the whispers that said, hey, this is who you can be. What did that play for you in the process? So, first of all, I grew up solving problems. I grew up playing a lot of chess. I grew up with Rubik's Cube and all those things. So I always was, I always welcomed the challenge of thinking outside the box. To this day, I'm not on the job sites. I'm not solving those problems on an everyday basis anymore, but solving the problems within the business and how we can grow or how we expand or how we solve has always been something that is a passion for me. But then, you know, I wake up and I say, how do we give something back? We've done, life's been good to us. You know, I think as being a good corporate citizen in our community is how we engage with our, you know, especially in these times in a whole host of different passionable things. And there, there's a lot that are passionate to me. And I encourage my team, if they have some, a reason, a belief, a youth, something, or someone in their family that's struggling, bring it to the table. Let's see how we can solve that problem. Let's see how we solve it. You know, our team, we're now 140 people strong. Wow. Someone's got something going on in their home life. Someone's got someone sick. Someone needs, you know, let's, let's rally behind that. And, you know, recently with COVID, we had one of our senior techs out for about a month. They figured they were buying a meals, people cooking for him. Someone was picking up his medicine. I think that's great. Isn't that great to have someone who he's in, you know, living alone, but been a great employee for 42 years with, with us. And it's how do we help them? How do we solve that problem? Again, whether it's on the job site, whether it's in the business, or we just take care of our people. So what would you say then to the business owner who's going through the motions, who's getting up every day? Hey, this is what I built. I guess I'd better just get to work. I bet, you know, better go and make sure I solve, you know, deal with the, react to the emergencies. What would you say to that business owner who's hearing this right now? I think burnout comes very quickly. You know, doing that grind every day for no reason will burn you out both physically and mentally. And it's not a healthy way to live, you know, fine. And there's a lot of things that you could, you know, just change maybe your market sector a little bit, change the people you work with. We started a thing a bunch of years ago as we were growing saying, hey, maybe we don't need top line growth. Maybe we just find the people we don't want to work with anymore because our, our business proposition is different. They only want the cheapest rate. And that's fine. That, that works for some, but didn't work for us anymore. So the quality of our relationship, and when you start working with people you like and you trust and value your partners, it makes it a really fun, cool place to work. I was at a meeting this morning, and he was referred through a very good friend of ours. 
And it was incredibly positive for him to tell us what he's heard about things we've done in our community. Mm. And that is a relationship I'd be willing to invest in and partner with this group every day of the week. Mm. Now, if he called me up and said, you know, we heard you're the cheapest and, and you're the dirtiest and you know that's what we want, I'd be like, you know what? That's probably not the right fit for us anymore. And that's okay too. Yeah, you focus on what's essential. It sounds like if you built some really strong roots in a culture where not only do you understand what your calling is, but your organization demonstrates that through its giving and its outreach and the way it chooses Nate, its clients. Nate, it's very challenging now when I walk into a meeting and I'm hearing that we're a sales meeting and they're saying, we're not going to work for that. I'm like, what do you mean we're not going to work for? And they say, yeah, because our core values are this. And and it's like, all right, it sounds like you guys thought it through and you know, continue. But instilling that is a constant nurturing. We bring new people on and we're, you know, we didn't talk about it, but a huge concern for me is our culture yeah. and not being able to get our teams together. We normally do a lot of company events. Mm. We've, you know, they've obviously all been on hold and it's not the same on Zoom, but getting everyone together. So they meet, they learn, and they have that familiarity with each other in a setting when they understand this is the mission of the company. So as you share all this, and I, I think of so many business owners who dream of growing their business, and they have sort of this general concept of growing the business, you know, and I'd be, as we, you know, I'd love something you could expand on. I'd be curious to see where you would go with the bigger the company gets, the more the chaos there is. <laughs> and how do, how, you know, again, this is all a message for the listeners to hear. How do you get through the challenge of distraction? of selecting opportunities, and yet you still go in each day and you're able to stay focused, play a role, and be productive without being in it, getting caught up in that overwhelmed feeling of growing a business all the time. So I will tell you, it was the single hardest transition in my professional career that I've ever had to do, where I had to give up a lot of my normal roles of working in the business. I had a mentor that I worked with on a, on a regular basis for some time to learn how to do that because it was difficult at best. And there were days that I'd walk in and be like, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing here anymore. So I had to relearn a new job and mentoring and communicating differently with people. And you know, sometimes I'll sit in a meeting and just try to observe, but not you know, be the impactful player in it. It's a challenge. And then what we did was the same mentor that I educated me and we worked with, I took a lot of my senior leaders and had him work with them. Mm -hmm. And he was able to help educate them more than I think I could have. And, you know, I think you could respect that as an outside person. Sometimes they just have a different way to look and ask the questions. Yeah. And they really started elevating. And again, it's mentorship. It's the books. We're very big on Audible. Um, you know, a lot of us, we spend a lot of time in the car. So it's the books you read, it's the people you talk to, it's the people you're communicating with on an everyday basis, and how you're learning and how you're impacting that stuff in your business and in your personal and professional life, because the bigger it gets, that work-life balance is a challenge. Hmm. I found that it's important to have rituals. So when we talk about the productivity and diving in and saying, hey, listen, I got to change my role. With that comes role, rituals of that role, ways of looking at things, who you're going to talk to, how you have to maybe not talk to some people under certain circumstances or make certain decisions, give people space. So again, would love it if you could, as you talk about taking this other role, could you expand on how you made that transition and established a new set of rituals that actually allowed you to grow? Again, it was painful. 
And I mean, I mean it a hundred percent. And I mean it because, you know, both my father and I, you know, we have a very open door policy. And when your time becomes, and not more valuable than different, but just limited. And all of a sudden it's conversations need to become more to the point. I think it made us run more effective, efficient meetings. You know, things have an agenda, things have a tempo. We're not spending 15, 20 minutes at the beginning where the ritual used to be, hey, come in, everyone talks about the. Now we've got very, you know, we come in and when we do certain meetings, people come in, they do best practice. Hey, what was the best thing that happened to you last week? What was the, bur- the worst thing that happened to you personally, professionally? It helps keep some, the human element involved in the business, keeps us interconnected, but does it in a very streamlined manner where it's not feeling so forced and so out of content. And everyone knows that they're, they're expected to share. But for me personally, when I, you know, my goal this year, and hopefully it'll happen with COVID, is that I can start taking people out to, you know, people that I normally wouldn't spend as much time. With. Hey, let's go grab a cup of coffee. Let's get out of the building and talk for 10 minutes. What's, you know, what's going on? What's good? What's bad? And you're, you know, talk to me. And the more connected I can feel on that level, I think the better it is for everybody. You know, we've had people that are, that are on board that I was not involved in their interviews. So I just don't know them. And, and likewise, they don't know me. So how do they know my values or how do they know my cores or my roots of where I want to see the organization go if we don't know each other and we can't communicate outside of work? So spending more time, again, on the people and the culture has really become a big part of my focus. And then cultivating that team, that core team that helps you delegate, <clears throat> allows you to change your role, step back and grow. It does. And, and team building has always been a big thing. We've done, you know, all the normal things that people, you know, axe throwing, court, you know, bowling events, um, we paintball and all, all that stuff. Because again, I think it's important. And I think it's important to do that stuff with spouses. And, you know, we normally have a family picnic where the kids are coming. And it's great that the kids know each other. And, you know, we give out all the, all the Ancon swag. And it's great that they're proud wearing it. Uh, we did a rebranding campaign recently where our, our vans, you cannot miss them. And now all of a sudden it's, wow, you know, you're part of that company. And again, we want that pride. We want the pride of ownership of that, that people go home and feel good about the company they're working for. So the, we got the calling thing under control. The burnout comes fast. Can't grow that way. You can't do everything yourself. So we've established that. And I think that this is really, really critical. These are critical building blocks of a, of a business. And you're obviously there. You figured it out. You probably made some serious mistakes and along the way. Now we're talking about, okay, you got to have a constant flow of new business opportunities, either referrals, you have to have fresh new opportunities. What did you do before to get new clients? What are you doing now? And what have you learned is the most effective way to, you know, obviously you're talking about 30 million more dollars coming in in projects. How'd you do it? You know, Nate, it's funny because, uh, you know, I'll be in a sales meeting. They're like, okay, we sold a half million dollar job. I'm like, great. That's today. What are we doing tomorrow? It's a hungry machine. We need to eat now. I'll tell you, we've always been in the relationship business. We don't do marketing. We don't, you know, in the B2B space that we live in, it's all about the relationship. It's all about making sure our customers are happy and satisfied and asking them, you know, do we do a good job for you on that service repair or that build out or that other? Yes, great. Do you have any other friends? Do you have anyone? Do you know anyone else that owns a building that you could refer us to? And as long, our feeling is as long as we're doing a good job, it's okay to ask. And if they say no, okay, tell us why not. Where did we drop the ball? You know, we have account managers whose jobs it is is to be the customer's advocate. 
And their job is to communicate and come back to us and say, you know what? We really messed up with this company. And here's what we're going to do. And here's how we're going to fix it. And they're going to either look, if they're not going to continue the relationship, at least we know we did everything we could to solve everything for their problems. Because the last thing we want is a bad feeling out there. And then when they're satisfied, who else can you refer us to? You know, hey, do you know who owns those three buildings next to you? Oh, yeah, that's so and so. I'll introduce us. You know, they're having a similar problem. That's how we grow. And we didn't intend to become a $35 million company at the rate we did. It happened. There's been a lot of good fortune, a lot of good people. And we've hired people that have had their own connections that have followed for one reason or another. But again, it's all about the relationship. Because if we're doing a poor job at a poor price, there's five other people lined up behind us to do the exact same thing. Mm. But if we can raise the bar and deliver good quality value at a fair price, you know, that's who we are. So generating referrals, asking for referrals, building that referral network, client appreciation processes, which I mean, I see that lumped under marketing, but it's marketing, not the junk food kind. It's marketing by caring for people. It is not. And, you know, yes, we do, you know, back in the day when we were allowed to go to sporting events and concerts and things like that, we did a lot of that. We do a lot of customer appreciation events where we bring them and we do things, but we're doing it to recognize and really to thank them. Because we know, like in a lot of businesses, they, they've got options to go elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Maybe they could even go elsewhere for, you know, and save a point or two but they value us and we really want to be their partner. And we also know that when things go wrong, because in the construction world, it doesn't always go right. You know, we make mistakes. We're big, you know, let us know, you know, your carpet that was, or that unit that we couldn't fix, we'll make it right if we're talking to each other and we don't want an adversarial relationship. We want a partnership. Right. These are powerful insights, man. And I, I think it's really, it's great to be able to pull back the curtain and interview and ask about, not only the way that you took the business owner over, but the problems that you faced along the way. I mean, $35 million is a big number and you had to see each step along the way. A lot of people, I tell my clients who who I work with in the consulting space as a mentor and a coach to CEOs, even in turnaround situations that, you know, you've got to be willing to just stop, take a look at your business, to work on your business, to really care about building a helping system. And it's not difficult to make, I don't think from my experience, it's not hard to make money, but it's hard to sustain it, to scale it and to be able to deliver effectively and to really appreciate and care for people along the way. And you're obviously embodying that. So I have two more questions before we wrap up. One of them would be, if you had to go back to one of your biggest mistakes in trying to grow, maybe if we were to look back at biggest mistakes between the $6 million and $10 million level sort of that you took over, you're trying to make some growth. Here's what we're going to do. You know, the new the founder's son's taking over. What, where did you just step in poop and it didn't quite come together? I think one of the biggest challenges was that we had so many holes in our systematic foundations and our processes were broken and we didn't know they were broken. So we continued to pile more activity on the same things that were giving us poor results. And when you do it the wrong way every time and get poor results, you know, it's the definition of insanity, but someone's got to really look back. And whenever, when we hire new people now, and I say, Hey, if someone introduced to you a system and you think you've got a better way with technology, there's a right way to present it, but let's look at doing things in a better, smarter, faster way. 
And we just took some things that were broken and we broke it some more and then we broke it some more. And then one day we looked at it and we're like, why are we still doing this? And then we really started looking and saying, hey, you know, when it was just two of us, that worked. But now there's a fourth and a fifth and a sixth person in this wheel. It's got to change. So looking at your processes at every certain plateau level and saying, does this still work for us? And, you know, real time, we're going through it right now. We're having tremendous IT infrastructure issues. What we did pre-COVID worked. Everyone was in the building. But now that we're virtual and VPN and you know, we're paperless and all this other stuff, it just doesn't work anymore. Mm-hmm. And we need to reskin that, you know, peel back that onion. And it was no different. At $6 million, if you don't look at, analyze what you're doing, as you grow, you just put more bad things on a broken problem. So when you, when and the you f- took over, did you sort of say, okay, we got the systems. I'm just going to use what's here. Maybe uh, a little too long initially. Is that what you're we, saying? We, we did. We overused some broken stuff. Okay. So which accelerates the problem instead of resolving it. It does. And ironically, when you talk to the people running the systems, they'll be like, oh, I knew that was broken. I didn't think you wanted to change it. Yeah. So empowering people to say, and being okay with the manager's ego, minor or whoever is to say, that was fine two years ago, but it no longer works in today's marketplace, society, technology. You know, I'm not a big techie guy. You know, other people have their Samsung phones and they do all this cool stuff with it. Great. How can we leverage? We now look, you know, when we look at our, our data plan usage and we have five, 10 people that are killing it on data. And we're like, why? Oh, because I'm YouTubing this and I'm learning that. And it's like, I never knew you could learn to do all those things on YouTube. And that's why their data charges are a little higher, but it's it's cheap learning. But again, it's one of those things that you got to look at the mold and say, maybe needs to be broken a little bit and changed. Yeah. So not trying to say, hey, we got this thing sorted. Maybe you're never really there. We got to break it. We got to keep breaking it and keep breaking it and keep breaking. I mean, I think if you end up, I'm going to imagine that you're not going to, the goal isn't like, let's hit 35 million next year too. Maybe it is. I don't know. COVID has been an interesting game, very serious game that a lot of companies have had a difficulty playing, but you probably have to break your system again, just like your IT system needs to be broken now. I think it's very important to empower people to be creative and thoughtful and to have a team that welcomes change and challenge. Mm -hmm. You know, back in the day when we used to have meetings, we used to have people that sat in the same chair every day and that was their space. Well, man, you go in there one day and sit in their space and watch their face. And it's like, wait, I sit there. Well, why don't you look at the view from the room from in that chair? And it's like people don't. I encourage change. People laugh, pick at me because I make people move their and it's just try it. It's brilliant. Try it. Maybe it'll be different. And it, it breaks up the routine. It makes it different. It makes them uncomfortable. It makes them use other parts of their brain. Which, by the way, I think it's all great stuff. Yeah. I think we're of the same mind. And I, that gives me far too much credit. I think <laughs> I, I'm going to learn from you. I already am during this time. And, uh, you know, I, I have a process that I've been teaching as a CEO mentor for years called the eight radical shifts. And one of them is you having a tough time, go dump your entire desk and file cabinet and then use delegation. And you can't sit in that chair. As a matter of fact, we're getting rid of your chair. Yep. You have to sit in another room. You have to be in another space. As a matter of fact, there has to be a three-day period where you drive by your office and try to communicate with people in the building how you'd like to see things happen. So when you come back, 
you're no longer in that space with that point of view. And it's been amazing to see. So hearing you say that from your perspective is huge. You're doing some brilliant stuff, man. Really, You know, Nate, one other thing you talked, what have I learned along the way? And I think it's for people to really value their PTO. We had during COVID so many people that didn't use it. And you get stale, you get burnt out. And I know for me, when I'm out of the business for a day, my creative juices just reset. And I think it's important for everyone to do. And, you know, if you don't sign the front of the check, turn, you know, hopefully the organization can afford to miss you for two, three, four days. I mean, turn off your phone, disconnect, unplug, regroup with your family and your friends or whoever, and just find yourself again. You know, that work-life balance, you know, these smartphones make it very hard to disconnect anymore. I tell all my people, you're entitled to the week, go. Someone else will figure it out for you. And we'll be okay. And unplug, it's so important today. I think more than ever. Well, David, there's one other question that I like to ask. And it's a a tribute to uh, one of the people I've learned from the most, Tim Ferriss. You're familiar with the Tim Ferriss podcast. And uh, he asks the question, which I just love this question like crazy. So I'm just going to ask it. Mm -hmm. Um, I think he also put it in Tribe of Mentors. But if there was a billboard that you could put in one of the most prominent spots, and you could put one message on it. It doesn't have to be business related, just whatever. What would you put on, on Billboard if you could? Oh, wow. That's a tough one. Would this be about a personal message or professional message or just it's a your message? call, man. This is your call. It's your game. <laughs> I think the real message is just do the right thing. You know, I think the world and workplace, you know, the home place would be such a better world if people just did the right thing and, you know, just as simple as that, whatever that is to you. But if it looks wrong and feels wrong, just don't do it. Yeah, and, you know, and it's back to basic human nature of how to how we care for each other as as people as a society and the, you know, and all the times that we're going through, just listen, you know, be good to everyone around you. That's a great message. I think it simplifies everything. Everyone's looking for a self help book and a method and a system, <laughs> and they're seeking. And it's like what feels right. I dig that. That's yeah. great, David. Uh, I really appreciate you being on this on the podcast and taking the time to be here today. Well, Nate, thank you for having me. And I really enjoyed it. Awesome. Again, everyone, this is Nate Lindquist with the Minimalist CEO Podcast. We just had a wonderful interview with David Endurski, the president of Ancon. He's an amazing, has an amazing set of business solutions. Uh, he took over the company. If you're catching the end of this, go back and listen to the whole thing. And um, there's insights for business owners all the way across the board. David, again, thank you very much for, for the interview. Thank you, Nate.